just had this random thought. <laughs> so I'm just going to step out here. So I felt that there's somebody with a prophetic word for this community, and it's about a dream that you had about an airplane. <laughs> Is there anybody that had a dream about an airplane? Okay. Can you come forward? Is it, is it maybe a red aeroplane? Okay, awesome. Great. Okay, so this is really funny. So um, God has been really testing my faith because I've got dreams, but then you're like, ah, have I heard right? And last night I couldn't really sleep. But I had, I had a dream. It's like a red airplane. It's going up. And it's not going up, but it's coming from different countries. It's coming from overseas. It's coming into George. So God is going to really use the church. People is going to come from overseas um, to come and get healing. So the community is going to become like one, one body, one church, and different churches becoming one because we are serving one God. And as, as the airplane is going up, it's about revival coming into George. And the garden root is going to stand as one. So that was the dream. And I couldn't understand what is God trying to tell me. But I started writing every dream that I get now. I wrote it in my diary because otherwise I forget. Um, and the other dream also I got of airplanes. It's like it's, we're trying to go up, but we're struggling to go up because there's something holding us down. And as soon as we're going to let go of that thing, we're going to be able to fly as a community. Awesome. Calista, can you can you send me the the journal entry? That'd be great. Also, okay, awesome. And then I I just had a, another thing. So uh, a good friend of mine, Nos Vermark, he's pastoring the CRC church here in in George. You know the CRC if you go over the bridge, but they have a, a massive outreach at the Otaniqua Stadium. So if you're not in a small group on Wednesday. I think it would be great for you to go and attend that uh, to support what they're doing. But also, I sense God is speaking to, to me about God wanting to gather unsaved people. He's wanting to save people. And they really have an anointing to see people saved. Okay, so if you're not doing something on Wednesday, um, I think it's around 6 o'clock, six o'clock at, the, at the stadium. Um, and they're doing great work in our community. But can we maybe just pray about this airplane thing? I sense it's from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we can be a humble servants, God. And we just open ourselves to, to receiving people. Lord, we are willing to go beyond our comfort zones. Lord, we are willing to practice hospitality, which is the love of strange people coming into our city to welcome them. If they're from Pretoria or from the Ukraine, or from Russia, or even from United States, South America. Lord, we just welcome them, because um, we know that you want to do something here to touch nations. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody says? So I, I want you, and Luke has actually been challenging me about this, is if you have a room in your house that's open, there's nobody living in that room, to consider... God using that room by being hospitable. In other words, inviting strangers into that room. Okay, just maybe speak to your wife if you do that, or to your mom. But 
let's start thinking about how can we help people experience the freedom that we have experienced in, in this room. Okay, so we're starting off tonight's uh, sermon series that we've titled Holy Love. And it's actually, it's, in a way, it's sad that we need to title it Holy Love. Because um, the reason being that love is actually a, a topic that's often talked about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Greek. There are four words that are used for love because it's such a crucial element to the gospel. The one is storge, which is family love. The other one is philios, which is friendship love. And then we also have eros love. Can you guess what that is? Erotic, romantic love. It's, it's always funny. There's a, there's a primary school in, in close to Cape Town, also a primary school in, in Vintu called Eros, which is weird for me if you understand Greek. So it's actually a topic that Jesus spoke a lot on that's a topic that we need to understand. But because of the world that we're living in and the devil understanding how important love is, we often have a distorted image of love, an understanding of love. To give you an example, if I say, go and make love, what do you think of? Babies, making babies. Or having sexual intercourse. But also often you would think of it in negative terms. But it's actually, it's a great phrase. To make love is to make love a verb. Is to who God is, to make it available to people. But in a way, we've been distorted, distorted. We've been perverted in our minds because of all the undercurrents of culture that's especially regarding the sexual part of love. And love... Obviously, there's a lot more to love than just sex, by the way. But that is also an important part. If you look at the Bible, there's one whole book that's dedicated to romantic love. The love between a husband and a wife. Even sexual love. Some of those passages, when I read it, I'm like, I I wouldn't be able to read it here in front of the whole church and not blush. Okay, so that's sort of the intro, but to get to give a better intro, I'm going to invite my wife up. Um, and the, the reason why I have her here is because I think she is one of the people that I know that really cultivate relationships very well and in a very godly, godly way. Obviously, she's cultivated the relationship with me, which takes a lot of effort and holiness, and, uh, and grace. So, Cornell, I appreciate you, and I love you, and I'm not allowed to embarrass you, so I won't do that. Thank you for coming tonight. Our four kids are playing there at the back with the Korea's four kids, so please pray for the kids' area tonight. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Cornell. Um, this is not my favorite place to be at all. I am usually at the back at Kids Church. That is where I feel comfortable and where I serve every Sunday. But tonight, Omo um, forced me. And I'm good at submitting. So, no, I'm just joking. Um, 
I just want to touch on three points tonight. The first is just, I thought I'll just share with you guys just a bit about um, Omo and our, our story, how we met. And I actually felt the Lord ask me to share why I, why I chose him. And I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Okay, I will not cry. See, you just, okay. So I met Omo when I was 15. Um, <laughs> I still remember the, the night when I met him. He was wearing gray. I was actually also wearing gray. It was my favorite color at that time. I met him at the Toystraat Elf, I think, in Worcester. It was at a garage party, <laughs> but it was a clean party. It wasn't like a typical high school party. And I remember when I met him, I knew that I didn't know he was my husband, but I knew that this is a, this is a special guy. And um, we didn't date from when I was 15. We had some, we, just, we were actually just very good friends, actually. But um, we, uh, we started dating when I was about 16, but not really dating. And then we sort of broke, or broke up. And he went to university, and I dated another guy, and he dated another girl. And then when I was in my third year of studies, we started going out again. And then we got married in um, 2008. But anyway, so I wrote down the reasons, and this, this um, note really personifies my personality, because it's on a copy of almost ID. <laughs> and um, at the back, I've got... Just excuse, guys, sorry. Pain pillar, tampons, hot dog buns, <laughs> pianos, <laughs> batteries, Ziploc bags, <laughs> flies, bright books, and milk. So, yeah, that's just. So I'm, not, I'm not like Omo. We've got very different personalities. But I've learned to accept that and to love him for that. And he loves me for my personality. <laughs> Okay, so I wrote down a few reasons why I decided to marry Omo or why I wanted to marry him. Uh, that was about 14 years ago. Because in the end, uh, marriage and relationship is a decision, right? So you can actually, we actually spoke about this last week. I was quite offended. Omo told me, you know, I could have actually married Emmy. That's his ex-girlfriend. He said that to me. And... Um, <laughs> Well, the point, the point he was trying to make um, is that you can actually marry anyone um, because it's a decision to love someone. Okay, so the, the reasons why I decided to marry him um, back then, and it's, luckily it's, all, it's still the same reasons, most of them. Okay, um, I'm just going to speak in the present tense. Okay, so he's a good, kind guy with a soft heart. He loves the Lord. And pursues to build his kingdom. He treats, this is a very interesting one, but this was very important to me. He treats animals, older people, and poor people with respect. He treats me with respect. He doesn't manipulate or intimidate me. Um, intimidate me. He does things with me that I know, um, that he knows I love, although it's not his first choice, like running. Um, he takes risks. This is actually not, yeah, this is, this is actually also one of the things that, I, um, that makes me angry sometimes, but I also love it. He takes risks with people, with our future, and not using birth control. 
But now he, um, he did fix that uh, um, point. He accepts my family and prioritizes relationships with them. My family is a bit more different than his. He tries to listen to me. He really attempts to listen to me. Um, he, wrote, he, wrote, he wrote letters and poems to me. He laughs at my jokes and regressed to my sense of humor. He sees my strengths and celebrates it. He accepts all people and welcomes them, even though he doesn't always feel comfortable with their way of, with their, um, way of doing. And the last one, I knew that actually that night when I met him, I was 15 years old, um, I knew that Alma would be a good dad. Um, I knew he'd be a good leader, not only for our family and myself, but also of a congregation. So that's why I decided to marry him. Then I just want to touch on one um, subject that I really felt the Lord highlighted for me, and um, especially in regards with holy life, and that um, it, it always came easy to me, and I'm going to explain to you why. When I was um, seven years old, when I was in grade one, I grew up in a small town. Um, at the end of grade one, my teacher gave everyone in the class, we were a small class, about 20 kids, she gave every child a Bible with your photo in front and then a scripture for you specifically. And my scripture, um, it was Revelation 3 verse 20, it says, I stand at the door and knock and if you open the door, I will come in and I um, will eat with you. And Afrikaans said it, and I buy my stand by the door and klop. And as you did it, I will come and I will come with you And when I was seven, that really opened my heart to the gospel. And I decided I'm going to follow the Lord. And from that day, I started reading my Bible. I was seven years old. And I remember I was still um, very young. And my parents would look, look for me. My siblings would get irritated with me because I was on the toilet reading my Bible. Um, but from a very young age, and I, I, I understand it now, I've always had um, very good self-esteem. I had, a good, I've, I had good self-confidence. I was sure of myself. I was a bit um, stubborn, was, but um, I really I had self-love <clears throat> from a very young age. And my parents couldn't always understand it. I have very good parents. But um, I, was, I was the middle child, and I never struggled with like, stuff like peer pressure or what people thought of me. Or, um, obviously, when you're a teenager, you do struggle a little bit with that. But it never got a hold of me. And I, just, I, I, just, I um, realized that in terms of holy love, if you, if you tell God that you want to follow him, then he says that um, you must love other people like you love yourself. And some of us here, um, most of us in some, some time in our lives, we struggle to really accept ourselves and to love ourselves. So I want to really encourage you, if you struggle to love other people, or if you struggle in any relationship, whether it is romantic or um, just friendship or co-workers or children, then it actually always comes down to, it starts with accepting and loving yourself. And actually, the, um, I also realized that you have to accept actually about yourself that you can't change, but you can 
you can try to change what you can. And um, then it's really important that we, in relationship, um, obviously in marriage or with your friendship or with friends, that we have to see ourselves how God sees us. And if you struggle with that, God can actually show you how, how he sees you. All right, and then just to end off with, I'd like to share my the, uh, testimony of my parents. Uh, my parents, I've got very loving parents. We were just with them this week, and they've been married for, um, my sister is 39, so they've been married for 38 years. Yeah, they just made it. 38 years, and they've been, they've had a, their marriage has been up and down and up and down and up and down. And then it came to a stage where my dad actually had to ap- admit to him, admit to himself that he's got a he's got a problem with um, alcohol. And um, you can try to be nice about it and say no, he wasn't really an alcoholic. You know, he just was just a social drinker. But he was actually um, addicted to alcohol. Um, and it it comes from a root of uh, low self-esteem, not realizing that he's loved by God and that he can accept himself, and then um, goes over to depression, and then it goes over to stress, and, you know, alcohol apparently just makes everything better. So they have been going up and down all these, all these years, and um, then at a stage, my mom just told him, um, I'm just going to say it out easy, she, to- she told him, um, as you know, nog een keer gesuip raak, dan gaan ek loop. <laughs> and if you know my mom, that's just how she talks. But she, she set her boundaries, and she said, because she loves him. She loved him, and she said, this is my boundary, and I will not take this anymore because I love you. And then he had to humble himself, which was um, really difficult for him. He's an Afrikaans um, uh, male, and he grew up very conservatively. And... Um, then he actually decided, without telling any of us, he decided he's going to go see Almost Dad. And if you know Almost Dad, he's almost close to perfect. He's kind and he's soft and he was a dwimini and he's nice and he's really, um, he's amazing. And then my dad really humbled himself. I think this was, this was probably the hardest, the hardest thing he ever had to do. He had to, he went to Almost Dad and he went for prayer and deliverance and, um, yeah, just emotional counseling. Anyway, he didn't tell any of us. It was almost like a secret. Anyway, fast forward a few years. He fell back a few times, but, um, this weekend, this week we had, um, we, we first went to, um, spend some time with Almost Parents and then, we spent some time with my parents, and my sister was there. Um, she's married, and my brother was there with his family, and my parents were there. And um, my sister's actually going through exactly the same thing as my dad. Just, yeah, out of just being broken, you know, and just being able to, being brave enough to admit that you're broken. And we were sitting there, and um, out of the blue, it's just typical, like my sister is, <laughs> she said, um, guys, I just want to speak to all of you now. And the kids were playing outside, and we had a two-hour-long conversation yo, where she just admitted and said that 
she wants to ask our account accountability and she wants to say that she's really struggling um, not only with depression, depression and anxiety, but with um, yeah, uh, um, having to having um, not being able to control her um, just alcohol use, actually. And she's yeah, she's two years older than me. She's got three kids, a lovely husband, and she's beautiful. And yeah, she sat all of us down and she admitted this, and she said that she needs accountability. And she needs prayer. And, yeah, I think it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life where my parents, they were sitting there. And my dad, he was just so humble. After having years of bad temper, stress, anxiety, depression, alcohol abuse, um, God really freed him of that. And he was sitting there and he was listening to her and we were all giving, uh, just really listening to her and giving her our just assurance that we are there for her and that we fully support her. And um, yeah, and my dad was just sitting there and he, and he just testified about um, him and my mom's relationship and how he really had to humble himself and admit that, you know, he's not perfect and then he needs help. And then he actually said a beautiful thing. He said, um, he just wants to say that if there's anything that he has done that has maybe contributed to this moment where she is at her life, that he wants to publicly, or because he's done it before, but he wants to publicly acknowledge and say that he, um, he wants to say sorry and that he's asking her forgiveness. And then my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she said, um, you know what, now we're going to pray for you. And we were all praying for her, my mom um, they come from a very conservative background. My mom prayed for her, my dad prayed for her, my, my brother prayed, all of us prayed. And, yo, we are really, yo, I just want to encourage you that God can really restore any relationship, any broken marriage, any messed up relationship, parents, kids, friends. And, um, yeah, we are just, we are so in awe and we are looking forward to just hearing the full testimony of my sister as well. And, um, yes, I think that's about it. Thank, thank you. Okay, I just want to say, the reason why I didn't come up here while my wife was crying is because Cornell is not the greatest at public affection, although I love public affection. We found our, found our middle, middle space here. Thanks, Cornell. Definitely the better preacher. And uh, so one thing that I learned from Cornell's family, they're just so honest. <laughs> How would you feel if your, if your sister comes up at a service and tells everybody about her alcohol abuse? But you know what? To me, her sister would probably go like, yeah, that's my sister. Tell them everything. Get them praying for me. And uh, coming from Dominus Hayes, we often had to put up a mask, not necessarily in the house, but outside. Uh, just so freeing to know that uh, you can be honest and vulnerable. And uh, yeah, so Cornell's dad is really one of my heroes in the way that he, he, he treats people, but also the way that he humbles himself. So in this conversation, so Cornell's mom is really, she's a lover, but she's a funny character. A very straight shooter. She works with disabled children. She told me from the beginning, Amo. 
So all of you are adults here, so I'm just going to say what she said. Allemaal, abe waar ek werk, help jy praat van a privaat deel en so nie. Ons noem op die naam, penis en vagina. That's how we do it. So this is how I do it. This is how I do life. Okay, I'm going to call it straight. And uh, just such wisdom coming from, from her. So at, there was a stage where they're now talking and, and Cornell's mom's like, saying, thank you, Samin, for sharing, and she's crying, and she's saying, yeah, because her dad saw my dad um, for deliverance and, and counseling, but then also my dad referred her, her dad to a psychologist that's two years older than me, so basically the age of a sister. So think your dad, you need to go to a psychologist that's the age of your children. They went there, and he humbled himself. The psychologist told him, exactly what he needed to do, and my wife of my, mo- my uh, sorry, my mother-in-law is, is telling us the story and said, yeah, and then I stopped the psychologist, and I said, listen, Yop, are you hearing what he's saying? He's just saying what I've been saying all along, by the way, wrong behavior, and then my, my father-in-law replied while we're sitting there with Sumi, and this, my father-in-law said this, yes, yes, your mom is 100% correct. Humility. Have you ever heard that from a husband? Admitting that he is wrong. Never. <laughs> Not never. And it was, it's just, it's beautiful. So whenever my father-in-law prays, I just cry because the Holy Spirit comes into the room because he's so humble. And they're not perfect people. <laughs> Definitely not. I wouldn't necessarily introduce them to all of you. Because you are very holy. My parents, on the other hand, they're very holy. And they... So just to give you an idea, so those of you who grew up in the, West, uh, in the Western Cape, so Cornell's mom comes from the Strand, so see exactly why, and her dad's from the West Coast, okay? So if you, if you put those two together, uh, just a lethal combination. Okay, how much time do we have? Okay, first sermon done. So I think if we, if we look at the world, and even just in, in the song that Luane sang tonight, so all of you laughed at the song, Susanna, Sunme, and by the way, come to Friday, it's going to be great, because it's just an opportunity for you also to bring friends into our community, because we want to create non-threatening, intimidating environments for people just to be in church. They're going to come here on Friday, and then you say, hey, you know what, we do this on a Sunday too, don't you want to come? On a Sunday, we get Luane again to sing Susanna Sunme or something on the Sunday. And uh, in a way, just get them into the love of, of, of Jesus. But if you, if you look at the world, and especially the entertainment industry, it's about we, we are singing and we are craving love. I think if you would send a commission from, from the aliens to come and just audit what's happening in the world, what's really important to human beings... They would go back to their commander and say, hey, the commission came to the conclusion that humans want, they want love. But then the second conclusion would be that they don't find love. So we need to help them. And in a way, that is where our human race is, is that we want love, but we haven't found love. It's almost a U2 song. I'm still look, or I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So, 
we as church, we actually have love. And the reason for that is because God is love. That is who He is. That is the very essence of God. And He showed us love in Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And then He poured out His love, Romans 5 says, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we should actually be controlling the narrative of what love is really. When people say, hey, hey, I want love, they should go like, hey, go to the church, go to that friend, hey, go to that Christian guy. He knows what is love. Not only will he tell you from, in, in words what love is, but he will reveal to you what love is. I just looked up the, the two top songs on, on Spotify, and number one, number two, both of them are about love. So the first one is Save Your Tears from the Weekend. It says, you could have asked me why I broke your heart. You could have told me that you fell apart, but you walked past me like I wasn't there and just pretended like you didn't care. I don't know why I run away. I'll make you cry when I run away. Take me back because I want to stay. Save your tears for another. Save your tears for another day. It's about love. It's about this relationship, this desire for a relationship. The second one, leave the door open from Bruno Mars, and I had to take out a few words here. It says, I'm talking, kissing, cuddling, rose petals in the bathtub, girl, let's jump in, it's bubbling, I ain't playing no games, every word that I say is coming straight from the heart, so if you're trying to lay in these arms, I'm, I'm going to leave the door open. It's, it's about love. And then this last song, it's a song called Kiss Me from Slomo. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Do you know this rapper? Slomo. It's from Song of Songs. And also I had to leave some stuff out here. The only difference is the first two songs, it comes from the world. And it's governed by the spirit of this world that's often perverted. The last song often uses the same words. If you read the, if you read the book of Psalms, of Song of uh, Solomon, it is a little awkward, but that book is governed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So in a way, I want us to take back the narrative around love. I want us to ask all of you, say, hey, let's make it holy again. When we talk about relationships, when you talk about the standard of relationships, when you talk to your friends, the movies that you watch, even the songs that you listen to, make sure that it lines up with the Spirit of God, not lines up with the Spirit of this world, because you will be influenced. You'll just be stats on that alien commission's report saying, hey, they haven't found what they're looking for. But there's love to be found. And there's, there's love to be found first when you meet Jesus, when the teacher gives you a Bible. That's where it starts. But there's also love to be found when you're 15 years old and you don't know anything and you meet another guy who also don't know anything and then somehow you get connected there, 15 years old. And now we're married. We have four kids. Our oldest is almost a teenager. It's scary. I still feel so immature. I can't believe I have four kids. At least I have my wife, who's very honest. You can read through it. So we need to steward this narrative of love. So Leviticus 18, 24 to 28. And I actually want you to go and read Leviticus. So God is he's putting the laws down. 
for the Israelites. And his desire with these laws is to create an environment where he can have relationship with people. And these laws still stand, most of them still stand true for this day. So Leviticus 18, very important for our day and age, it talks about how to not engage with sexual activity. So go and read the whole thing. It says you shouldn't have sexual relationships with your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't have sexual relationships with a male if you're a male. In other words, homosexuality. You shouldn't have sexual relationships with any other thing apart from doing that within the covenant of marriage. And then it also gives us the consequences. So even sexual relationships, I, I think Moses would have added with a screen, pornography, or with a magazine, or your phone, or whatever it might be, or being emotionally just involved in somebody that you somehow get a kicked because they stimulate your lust, or you're flirting, or whatever it might be. And then it gives you the consequences. So if you do this, this will happen. So this is Old Testament. We'll get to the New Testament now. So verse 24, it says, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways. So improper sexual relationships. Because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. So nations became defiled because they did not obey these laws. 25, even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Strong words. But you must keep my decrees, my decrees and my laws. The native born and the foreigners, foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things, for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Sure. He says, no, it off. So what God's saying is, if we become holy like He is holy, then we are under His covering and He will protect us and He will give us land. He will give us property, physical property. That's what He's talking about. He will give you inheritance that you can give and hand over to your children. But if you don't follow His laws, you're going to break yourself. And in a way, the land that you're occupying is going to vomit you out. And some of us are thinking, why is these things happening? It's because we haven't stepped into holiness. So we're going to get to the New Testament. Just hang on. This is still Old Testament. We're going to get to the New Testament. Leviticus 20 verse 26 Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. So this is the key in holiness. God says, hey, I want to have relationship with Luke. But Luke, because of the fall of man, because of sin, I cannot have relationship with you. And now you're actually going further and further away because you are perverting the area of love, your heart, in such a way through sexual relationships that's not biblical and that's not holy. And therefore, the land that you occupy, the influence that you have, is going to vomit you out. But my biggest desire, I just want to be with you, Luke. I just want to be with you. And you know, if I am with you, then you have all the resources with you. Heaven's resources with you. It's not like a property or even a country or a small holding. You have everything with you but then you need to be holy 
holy. So holiness, remember this, holiness makes relationship possible. So there's that awkward moment that we take people through when they get engaged. Tell them, okay, you must share with one another where you have failed your future spouse sexually. Now, you don't have to go into much detail, but you, if, you, if you're not a virgin, then you need to now tell your spouse that. And you, you know what What happens? It was, a, it was an awkward conversation. Cornell and I, the, the great, by the grace of God, we were still virgins, but we also had bad relationships. So we had to confess, hey, I was not faithful to you with my previous girlfriend. I was not faithful to you, my spouse, the spouse that God has given me with my previous boyfriend. And then when you share that, None of the people that I've ever worked with said, hey, wow, it was a great feeling just hearing how many different sexual relationships my future spouse had with different people. Nobody says that. Not even the atheists. Why? Because holiness makes relationship possible. Holiness brings joy to relationships. The reason, one of the reasons that Cornell and I have a good relationships and she allows me even to pray for women is because she understands that I'm holy and she knows the value that I place in holiness in my personal life. Our friends, their wives don't trust them at all because they've messed up in their relationships. They're not even allowed to speak to other women because holiness makes relationship possible and it pleases the Lord. So here's the New Testament story. So now, holiness makes relationship possible. God understands that. He says, okay, I'm not only going to tell you to be holy, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to send my son from his holy abode. I'm going to send him straight to you. I'm going to tell him to tell you that I love you. I want to be with you. You are mine. You need to be with me. And you need to live holy lives. Jesus actually comes and he says, hey, this is the standard of the Torah. I'm going to level it up. My standard's higher. But now I'm going to allow for you to gain access to the power that I have, the Holy Spirit. And therefore you can live on a higher level than even the standard of the Torah. That's what Jesus said. Your righteousness should supersede the righteousness of the Pharisees. But it's impossible with man. So Jesus had to die. He had to make atonement for all our sin, all the nonsense that we've done in our lives sexually, everything that you now think of that you have done and you feel so convicted. Jesus died for all of that. So he's like, hey, I'm going to take all of that in your place. And because of him taking all of that in our place, we can now have access to a relationship with a holy God. Because holiness is... Cannot mingle with impurity. Cannot mingle with unholiness. Cannot mingle with perversion. Cannot mingle with corrupted hearts that's after, lustfully after what the world portrays to be love. So holiness makes relationship possible. Okay, we have 
10 minutes <laughs> for this last bit. So this is the beauty of the New Testament. That Jesus comes into your life and He makes you holy. And I love it when, when sinners like I was, sinners like many of you were, come to Jesus and we suddenly realize, well, I didn't do anything, but I'm holy now. I can have a relationship with God. What was only possible once a year through a high priest is now possible every second of the day. I can wake up with my morning face and my morning breath and say, Hello, Jesus. And he's not offended by that. Because of what Jesus did. But then you need to stay close to Jesus. And in the new covenant, those old laws are still true. Because you, you're like, wow, man, okay, I'm, I'm going to govern my life. If that is really important, if there's a whole chapter on being sexually pure. I'm going to stick to sexual purity. I'm not going to fall for this trap. The world is putting in front of me, saying, hey, this is what love looks like. I'm not going to get perverted by the music that I listen to, the songs, the entertainment, the movies. I'm going to keep myself pure because I want to steward. I want to keep this relationship safe because I want to stand before my spouse one day when I'm engaged. I want to go to marriage prep with Luke and Monica and I want to say, hey, ask me the question. Ask me the question. Looks like, what question? No, ask me about my past. And ask her about our past. We are holy. We are blameless. We've already sorted that out. Look, can we go on to the next one? Can we get married tomorrow? Let's talk about having kids. We want to talk about their names, not sort out issues. Okay, so holiness makes relationship possible. Okay, I want you to go to 1 John 4, verse 7 to, 20, 7 to 21, and you can read the whole bit at home. I'm just going to highlight a few verses. We'll go to um, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. And we skip to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And He's talking about through Jesus, we have come to believe this. And then verse 17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as it is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And then also previous verses he talks about. If you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, you are a liar. So, holiness makes relationship possible. God came and He gave us holiness through Jesus, therefore we can receive love. But then also, if we live holy lives, in other words, we pursue the Holy One, we can start loving people. 
So that's the test of holy love. When somebody sends me a, a great revelation that somebody has about whether it's the prophetically, the end times, or great teaching, I always try and find what does he say about his wife? What is his relationship with his close circle? Because if I know that his close circle is healthy, then I know that I can probably trust this person. Because I know the Bible teaches this, that if I love God, but I don't have good relationships here, then there's a problem in my love. So the test for you in holy love is, do you have good relationships? Not with everybody, because if you're going to be a Christian, you're not going to have good relationships with everybody. But do you have good relationships with the people in your inner circle? Do you have an inner circle? And then when people get connected to your inner circle, whether it's through a, a party that you attend, or, or maybe you're going away on a holiday, or maybe you're sitting next to somebody in an airplane, do they experience that holy love? One of the greatest testimonies for me always is when people come into our home, and for me, it often feels like chaos. <laughs> Everything is just all over the place. And then people say, no, no, I just want to be here because there's so much love in this house. I so much look up to you in Cornell. <laughs> I'm like, hey, have you heard the way that we speak to one another? Have you seen just who we are? And they said, no, I can experience the love. And somehow, by the grace of God, we've managed to, to love God well, to receive well from Him. I think we're just good receivers of love, and therefore, somehow we can get people into that same love. So there are four things, three things that are important. Sorry, there should be, the last one should be three. Next slide. Holy love characteristics. One, it comes from God. If you, if you want to grow in loving people, if you want to grow in finding a husband, finding a wife, start loving God. Start spending time with Jesus. And not only in an intellectual sense, like Luke was saying is, uh, earlier, he said, hey, when you start worshiping, think of who God is. Before you go like, hey, God, how can I get a blessing from you? God wants to give you a blessing. But it's, it's so much more powerful if you understand who you're going to. And if you understand the greatness of who He is, then a, a scripture like, hey, God has sent His Son into this world because He loves us. John 3 verse 16. And that means so much more because you understand who God is. So love comes from God. And all of you have the capacity to receive love from God. I often have, have referred to this one incident. I was standing in the shower. God, I felt like God touched me on my shoulder. And He said, I love you and I back you. It's, it's, it's a moment that changed my life. Just, hey God, hey Alma, I love you and I back you. If, if those were just words from my kid or even my wife, I think it would be powerful. I love it when Cornell says that. But understanding that God, the power behind everything in this universe says, I love you and I back you 
Can you see the difference? If you understand who God is, so love comes from God. Secondly, it should represent Jesus. It needs to look like Jesus. Your love needs to look like Jesus. So it will be sacrificial. You'll give up some of your time. You'll give up some of your money. You'll give up some of your comfort to love people. It will not necessarily look like your space. When I, when I think of our family, there's a lot of things that I could imagine before Cornell and I married, but there's many things that I never thought that will look like what it's looking like now. I mean, I, we both agreed like we wanted lots of kids. I even had a password at university. It was four kids for my first Gmail account because I wanted four kids. It's, it's there, but a lot of things, they look like that. Why? Because Cornell has a different idea of what family should look like than I. We agree on the same, mostly we agree on the same principles. Like even this holiday, I just wanted to stay with my parents. And, she, and I said, oh, we can choose your parents, but just stay with one parent for the whole week. It's like, no, we want to do both. So I had to submit because often I'm also good at submitting. And we had to do both. Driving around. I don't like driving around when I'm on holiday. So sacrifice. No lust. The definition of love is to give. Definition of lust is I just want. I want. If your relationships is I, I'm, re, I'm in a relationship with Luke because I, I want to get something from Luke. I want to get something from Tanya. I want to get something from Daniela. That's why I'm in a relationship. Brad, I, I love Brad. So I'm, he has... He has many other friends. He's popular. I, I want to get something from him. It's lust. It doesn't look like Jesus. And it's not holy. There's no sin. And then the third point is, it costs out fear. So this is a very practical point. It creates safe spaces. It refers to verse 18, where it says, perfect love costs out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Fear expects punishment. So punishment is good when it's disciplined. So my kids must know if they don't obey, they're going to get punished. But the punishment without fear in love, that's not the end goal. The end goal is not punishment. The end goal with punishment is to say, hey, I'm better than you. I'm on this moral pedestal, and you're going to stay there. That is who you are. You are your sin. That is the goal of punishment. The goal of discipline is, I am punishing you now because I believe in the potential that God has given you, and ek beig die boompie, so dat die boompie nou in die rechte richting kan groei. I'm just channeling your potential into your God-given potential. I'm just helping you along. So there's no fear, no punishment in love. So here's where I want you to get really practical in how we do love. I want you to think of creating safe spaces for the people around you. One of the most important things in counseling, for instance, is an author will attest to this, everybody doing counseling, is that you want to create a safe space when that person comes in for counseling. Because you know 
The reason why they're there is not to ask you how your day is. Or to ask you, hey, what are your names of the four kids? Or talk about the rugby or how Marnie Libok is now playing for the Stormers. Have you seen it? He's from Otaniqua. He's playing a great game of rugby. Those of you watching rugby for the Stormers. Number 10, fly off. Brilliant. Amazing. I love my rugby every now and then. No, they're coming to share. So what you want to do is you want to create a safe space. So how do you do it? Because the first question that I, or one of the first questions that I ask people is, so tell me the worst thing that you've ever done. Do you think a person's going to share the answer truthfully to that question if they don't feel like this is a safe space? So our youngest, our wildest one too. Do you think that person's going to actually share with me? No, they're not going to share. If they don't feel it's a safe space, they're going to think, okay, Amor has a wall of shame here, and he's listing all the different sins of all the people in the church, and he's going to give it to Kunal, and then Kunal is going to preach about it to everybody. Not a, it's not a safe space. So how do we create safe spaces for our friends, for your spouse, for the people that you're working with, is you need to model love. You need to model forgiveness. You can't be insecure. You can't be sensitive. A safe space for Kunal and I is, Kunal, any time of the day, you can come to speak to me about something that you sense is wrong in my character. Any time of the day. Okay? This is ideal. Kunal understands that even I have off times during the day, so timing is everything. But I should get to a point where even in the worst morning, everything is, is all over the place. We can't find the kids' school clothes. We're late, everything. And, and then she should be able to come to me and say, Amor, I didn't like the way that you talked to me yesterday night before you went to bed. She should be able to speak to me in that moment, ideally. A safe space would then be in the way that I respond. Then I can either go like, can't believe this time in the morning. Is this what you're wanting to tell me? Hey, let's just get the kids to school. It's punishment. I'm punishing her for being honest. But if I, if I really am loving, say, hey, listen here, lovey. I'm so sorry. But let's just get the kids to school. And hey, listen here, I'm going to make a date with you after school. It might just be 5 to 15 minutes, no matter how long you need. But let's talk this through. Because if it's really important to you, then it's important to me. Even though I don't feel like I agree with her at all, it's a safe space. Because the next time, there might be something much more significant. It could be like she can see sin in my life. Or she understands that I have a blind spot that needs to be covered. And she wants to share it with me. But she's going to remember that the last time that, I, that, I, that she shared with me, I completely blew the gasket. I respond so emotionally and in such so much anger, she doesn't even want to share that with me. You know what? Then you're taking the beauty of marriage and the potential of marriage away from your marriage because you're not allowing your spouse to speak into your blind spots. So there's two ways that people respond to difficult situations. The one is either fight or flight. And both of them are punishment. 
So fight is, no, how can you say that? Hey, so you're not telling me, like, hey, you have, a, you have been working all day with the kids. Don't you understand that I am suffering at home? That I'm spending all my effort at, sorry, I'm suffering at work. I'm spending all my effort and all my energy to make ends meet for the end of the month. Don't you dare speak to me like that. That is punishment. Your wife's never going to be honest with you ever again. She's going to talk to all her girlfriends. By the way, ladies, don't do that. Choose one friend that you can trust. You can trust her mouth. You can trust her heart. You can trust her for holy and wise counsel. Don't speak to everybody. But she's never honest with her husband. So that's fight. The other way that's, that people respond, flight is even worse. And all of you have seen this, where it's flight. As you, you mention something, you're like, hey, um, I'm Monica and, and uh, Luke. I just want to speak to you. You come home way too late every night. You just have a good time with putting the kids to bed and you even read them a Bible story and that's, that's amazing. But I just want to say that I don't feel like you have my back in in this parenting thing. And now Luke being very immature, he's like, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Not in fighting. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to ignore you. Because you need to feel this now. I'm not even going to read the Bible stories anymore. I'll go and play with, with Armour TV games at his house and read his kids' Bible stories. I'm not going to go home. Hey, that's un- unfortunately, that's how often marriages work. I'm going to show her that she actually misses me. Fight to flight. Stole staper in Afrikaans. Who of you have been in a home where there was stole staper? Parents don't speak to one another. It's horrible. You know what? how ungodly that is? Because it's punishment. And if, if you've spoken to your husband about something that's so important like parenting and now he's still staple for the next two weeks are you going to do it again no you're not going to speak to him about it again you're just going to carry on parallel marriage you do this you maybe even sleep sleep together in the same bed but there's no emotional intimacy you need to be able to speak about your incompatibilities if you don't speak about them You have a low level, a low standard of marriage, and love has not been perfected. Okay, can we get the band up? And so, by the way, I'm I'm using a lot of of metaphors from marriage. So, and most of you were somehow connected to a marriage, hopefully. But even if you don't, God, God understands that, and you... You probably have seen this in relationships, but it's also applicable to your relationships with friends. I've been in relationships with friends. You just said something wrong in a WhatsApp. They don't speak to you for two weeks. It's punishment. It is immature. It's so immature. Or you tell somebody, hey, listen here, I don't want you to be late for church anymore. And then they say, hey, Amor, 
Listen here. I can't believe you're telling me that. You know what I have to go through to get to church on time? I can't believe you have the audacity to tell me I need to be here on time. It's, you're fighting. I'm just, I'm just telling you it's good principle to be on time. For a meeting with Bill Gates, but also for a meeting with Jesus Christ. I, do you allow me to speak into your life? Yes, yes, I, I want you to speak into my life, but don't step on my toes, please. My grandfather used to say that there are some people, they have such long toes, you can never miss their toes. Perfect love needs to cast out your insecurities and your oversensitivity. Also. And yes, there, there are some people like that offend me also because they're just way too straightforward. It's like, hey, Amo, ons is brouwers, ons is regheid mense. Ek gaan vir jou sê, hoe jy daar gepraat het is verkeerd. I don't, I don't know the brouwer guy, but he's telling me straightforward. I'm like, yes, I will take it because I'm trying to be mature. There's maybe something truth, something of truth in this brouwer comment, but hey, that's very offensive to people that you don't know. So how do we create safe spaces? A friend of Luke and I, he said, oh, my dad's excellent in this. Whenever I mess up, the first person that I want to call is my dad. Think of the worst sin that I can commit. If I commit that sin, the first person that I want to call is my dad. His dad is strict. His dad is a Christian. He values holiness. But the reason why he wants to call his dad is because he, his dad created a safe space for him to be honest. His dad's going to say, hey, you know what, you messed up. But listen here, come to dad. Let me help you clean up this mess. It's a kind of environment that we need to create. So are you creating safe spaces for the people around you? Are you trustworthy when it comes to honesty, especially honesty? It's very difficult for me to have a relationship with people that I can't be honest with. Honest in, in just who I am, my personality. Honest in sense of humor. Honest in to say, I don't feel comfortable with this. Honest in, hey, this is what's really important to me. Honest in what excites me. It's really difficult. My dad said this, and I'm just throwing out a couple of things now. My dad said this to me. I'm in ministry, you can never be friends with the people that are emotionally dependent on you. So in the beginning, I wanted to be friends with everybody. Because I'm a kind of love people guy. I want to be friends. And then it drained me. I mean, I was like, what's happening here? I'm drained by loving people, God. And then my dad said that to me, and I understood. I can help people, all people, I can mentor all, all people, I can love all people, but I cannot be friends with them. I cannot allow them to be in my inner circle. Okay, so I want you to close your eyes. Okay, sorry, we're a little over time, but this is a problem that the human race is struggling with, so let's use extra 15 minutes for this. Okay, so we're going to do a couple of things. One is,
if you need to repent of not receiving love from God, you have a love deficiency. So don't think of your parents and how they messed up your life and all of that. No, we take ownership and we can repent. Say, hey, um, even if your parents messed up, you can go to the Lord. The reason why Cornell is such a confident, secure woman is because she went to the Lord. Somebody led her to Jesus when she was eight years old, and she was fellowshipping with Jesus from that age. She didn't have a love deficiency, even if she, when she grew up in that kind of household. Okay, so say, Lord, if there's something where I, is that if there's a time where I missed you and not received love from you, I repent of that, and I just want to receive love from you. I want to be dependent on you, not on people. Okay, that's the one. Just agree, say amen. Lord, I, I repent of that. Second one is where you've missed it, where your love or your crave for love has been lust, not sacrificed. You have lust after the woman on the screen or you have lust after a friend. You thought, why, if I can just be friends with that person, my life will be better. If I can just have that romantic relationship, then I will be fulfilled. It's lust. You just say, Lord, forgive me for lust. And then thirdly, just make a commitment to create safe spaces for people. Your room, your house, your business must be the safest place. Doesn't mean that it's, there's not going to be war every now and then. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be confrontation, discipline. It just means that there will not be punishment and degrading of people. People will be able to be honest. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you that you're healing all our love deficiencies now in the name of Jesus. You're just healing us. Thank you that this church will be known as a church who loves well. Lord, we're not going to look for love and in worldly places. We're going to look for love first with you and then we're going to represent that love to the world out there because there's a world that's searching for what we have in you, Jesus, and we thank you for that. We are so grateful for that in the name of Jesus. Okay, so while every eye is closed, if you're in this room, and you don't know Jesus. You want to come back to Jesus even. You want to make a recommitment. You just want to say, Lord, I need you. I've been down the wrong road. If that is you, I just want you to raise your hand very high. Just say, I want to come back to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can lower your hands again. And then the last group of people, if you you want to get this right, you want to be a loving spouse one day, or you want to be a loving spouse now, or you want to be a loving friend, or 
want to be good with relationships, but you just so struggle. You don't know where to start. You understand you need to start with God, but you don't even know how to do quiet time. Then I just want you to raise your hand very high. Just say, hey, that's, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can lower your hands again. I want us all to stand, and then those people who raise their hands, I just want you to come forward. We're going to pray for you. And the, then the rest of, of you, I want you to, if you came with a, a friend, or those of you who raised your hand, just come forward, just come and stand here and face me. The rest of you, I want you to, you to turn to the person next to you and just ask them, is there anything that I can assist you in prayer with? Whether it's this week or coming month, just anything. And you just make a note, because by the way, if we, if we are good friends, if we love well, we listen well. Just make a note, say, hey, I'm going to pray for this. And you pray for him now, or you pray for her now. And then next Sunday, two weeks down the line, you just see this person again at church or even take down their number. You say, hey, how's it going with that specific thing? It's a, it's a simple skill, simple tip to be a great friend is to remember what people shared with you and to follow up on that. Okay, so let's turn to the people Next to us and, and the facilitators, if you can just come forward, we're just going to pray for, for people.